Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to this latest installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Today, we are delving back into the film festival circuit for another gem. We are bringing you um, the director, the visionary, and one of the stars of the new film, On the Fringe of Wild. Um, It made its world debut um, in the United States uh, the past few months. Um, It is played at film festivals in Miami and in San Diego, and um, obviously, as with all gems and quality films, it is creating new momentum, and uh, we're we're really thrilled to talk to them about it. It is um, not a lighthearted film, to be sure. Um, It lives up to its title, On the Fringe of Wild, and um, covers a lot of themes in a very artistic and, and deep manner. Um, so today, um, we're waiting on deck is the, like I said, is the director and the visionary of the film, Emma Catafamo, and also one of the film stars, uh, Michael Mello. Uh, Michael's part is, uh, not the glam part, not the tragic hero. Um, he actually has a very complex LGBTQ character and, um, uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to talk to him and hear, the unpacking of, of everything that, that went into um, that portrayal. Um, in the meantime, I do want to bring on my esteemed co-host and colleague, Brody Lebeck. Brody is the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, um, and he's got a couple of news stories we want to talk about right up front. Um, and with that, welcome to the show, Brody. How are you doing today? Okay, Rob, and hi to all of our loyal listeners and uh, our subscribers and people that are new to the show. I appreciate your stopping in. Um, yeah, so a couple of things uh, right off uh, right off the top of my head. Last night uh, in Austin, uh, a U.S. District Court judge, uh, Robert Pittman, blocked the enforcement of that controversial Texas anti-abortion law, Senate Bill 8. Uh, the bill would basically, the law now, bans all abortions without exception after six weeks, uh, which is a point when most women aren't even aware that they're pregnant. Uh, in his 113-page uh, ruling, uh, the judge said, and I quote, the law was an offensive uh, Deparation of such an important right, referring to women's reproductive rights. And then the judge added, a person's right under the Constitution to choose to obtain an abortion prior to fetal viability is well established. Fully aware that depriving the citizens of this right by direct state action would be flagrantly unconstitutional. Texas can provide an unprecedented and transparent statutory scheme to do just that. What made the Texas law different? And one of the reasons that the U.S. Supreme Court upheld it but kicked it back down to the lower courts was that direct enforcement was done in a very, shall we say, creative way. Texas Republican lawmakers constructed it so that anybody 
could sue people who, A, get an abortion, B, doctors who perform abortions, or C, clinics who provide facilities for abortions, um, which, you know, you're going to give them props. They did it that way so that statutorily it would keep the federal courts out of it. However, in his ruling, Judge Pittman disagreed with that, uh, and he pointed to what uh, the Chief Justice had pointed out in his um, uh, putting when they sent it back from SCOTUS. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts essentially said the same thing. So um, it looks like we're back into another ban. We're expecting Texas to immediately appeal this to the U.S. Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, so. You know, I'll keep you posted uh, on that. Um, yeah. And Brody, on, on that, yeah. um, legal people we talked to after that initial ruling, um, there were some that, that basically said that the Supreme Court really didn't have a chance or didn't have any leeway to rule differently than it did because of the way um, the Texas lawmakers had structured um, the bill uh, at the time because it wasn't the Supreme Court couldn't say anything because it wasn't against the state. Now, um, with this ruling, does that change anything? Um, Roberts was part of the minority um, on that. He wasn't part of the majority in that ruling. How how do the legal people you've talked to think this is going to go if it goes back to the Supreme Court? Well, what Judge Pittman pointed out in his ruling yesterday was that the way the law was contrived and written absolutely was an attempt uh, to circumvent Roe v. Wade and also circumvent established law and precedents, and at the same time as a get-around, uh, which would be unconstitutional, especially under 14th Amendment uh, protections. And based on that, knowing that the state is going to uh, appeal that, but the thing that's interesting is um, the Biden administration's Justice Department has already started focusing in on that, and they filed an amicus brief that was part of Judge Pittman's ruling yesterday. So the court is going to have to see um, this for what it is. This is a not so transparent way of trying to get along uh, around Roe v. Wade in a creative way, but the thing is going to settle in on one legal point, and that is standing. You know, right. you can't have a law that affects a populace without a governmental body, and the Texas lawmakers trying to write themselves sideways on that is in and of itself unconstitutional. Roberts hinted at that in his minority dissent, and this is what Pittman picked up on in his ruling. We're waiting to see what the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals does. Well, the whole thing is really insane. I mean, it's basically saying to a woman, her personal choices can be dictated and um, uh, and attacked by complete strangers that that, don't, that aren't even the government. I mean, it's not even people that have any authority over just some random complete stranger can suddenly chime in and rule one of the most important decisions in her, her life. 
Well, while we're on the subject of crazy, let's go back to Texas. (laughs) And last night, uh, a House committee passed through an onerous anti-trans youth sports bill that specifically codifies that participation in sports in Texas must be based on the original birth certificate. Now, this is an important distinction because... In many cases, and there is laws on the book, including Texas, where trans individuals are able to change their gender markers. What this Mm -hmm. law does is says, oh, not so fast. If you were born with a vagina, you're a female, too bad. You're not going to call yourself a man. If you're born with a penis, you're not going to call yourself a woman. We don't care. Gender markers are irrelevant. We have to protect women's rights in sports. Blah, blah, blah. There were ten and a half hours of extremely charged testimony. Uh, it was rough. Um, as a matter of fact, a couple of the folks uh, that have been on this show, uh, Amber Briggle, uh, who is the mother of a teenage uh, youngster, the uh, trans kid that would be directly impacted, and, of course, Landon, our good friend and activist from Houston, Uh, Landon said this to me today uh, in a phone call, and basically it's pretty straightforward. The passage of House Bill 25 out of committee is heartbreaking and exemplifies just how conditional the Texas Republican care for, quote, vulnerable children really is. But that is not a surprise when for the past 10 months they have continuously ignored the trans kids and their families who have sacrificed so much of their time, privacy, and lives to plead with legislators legislators to quit debating their existence. Instead of bullying trans youth, our elected officials should use their power to protect, support, and affirm trans youth across the state who already suffer great abuse and harassment at their schools and in public life. Trans kids just want to be kids, and they deserve so much better from our state's leadership. Uh, Landon's father, Aaron, was speaking to my colleagues last night at the Texas Tribune. Uh, Landon, as you know, has a trans sibling. This is what Aaron told the Tribune. His kids have dreaded the start of this legislative sessions in anticipation of the bills that are going to debate what rights and opportunities that they should have. That's coming from Landon's uh, father. Um, the bill will now go to the full Texas House for a vote. The companion bill in the Senate has already passed. If this bill is passed, the two will be combined and then sent on to Greg Abbott for signature. Abbott has already indicated that he will sign it. And, of course, this is one of several anti-trans bills that were championed by the state's lieutenant governor, Dan Patrick, um, who, of course, is, you know, anti-anything LGBT trans doesn't matter um for our audience the lieutenant governor of texas is about the same as if you're out in a nice field on a very nice warm day and you step in a cow patty uh that's about what the lieutenant governor of texas is uh yeah then you've stepped into the lieutenant governor of texas don't these people have like this big power grid issue i mean didn't they have like this historically large power outage due to their, their oh, yeah. lack of infrastructure and, and all that. I mean, yeah. this, this is 
All they have to do there is sit around and attack women's rights and go after trans teens. Um, I mean, it is the most bizarre mentality, I think, ever. It is, and, and it's really sad, but I mean, it's, you know, and, and it's unfortunately the mentality that we see, um, you know, uh, yeah, I see it uh, sometimes, uh, though not to this degree, uh, for my homeland of Canada, because we have Tories up there that do the same crap that the Republican counterparts on the side of the border do. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me that, you know, they're so busy trying to rule over people's lives as opposed to govern to assist people moving forward. So I just, it's annoying. Um, and yeah. I got one last thing. Um, okay. My good friend Alvin at uh, his blog, uh, which uh, he does a brilliant job. And if you guys haven't read him, I highly recommend uh, that you go see Alvin's uh, little blog he's got. Uh, it's entitled Holy Bullies and Headless Monsters. Uh, he's an award-winning blogger. Uh, I've known uh, Alvin for about 15 years. Um, recently, the comedian uh, Dave Chappelle um, was in a Netflix special, and he said some, quite frankly, negative things about the LGBTQ community. Uh, and then he also made some things that he launched into derogatory diatribes about transgender women's genitals. And then he went and attacked the entire community. And then there was more junk basically. So Alvin, uh, and I published today at Los Angeles plate.com, uh, ran some commentary on it. And the commentary is Dave Chappelle can kiss my black ass. And, uh, to the subtitle that uh, album put out there is, if you would just shut up for a second, meaning Chappelle, you would hear how racism does affect LGBTQ people of color in a way it doesn't affect you. And then he goes on about things that have to do with the, uh, with the LGBTQ community. Um, Alvin, of course, is African-American himself. So uh, he's, he's got, as my activist friend Jasmine Canick here in Los Angeles would say, He's got the receipts, so he's the one person that I have no problem uh, publishing to, you know, take it out on Chappelle for his ignorance. Homophobia, unfortunately, is a little bit more accentuated and amplified uh, in the black entertainment circles than it is, uh, generally speaking. And unfortunately, that also means that the kids uh, are impacted in greater degree, and we also see that reflected and the amount of black trans women who are murdered, uh, gay kids who commit suicide. And when someone like Chappelle, who's got a platform and is hugely popular within that minority community, could step forward and basically rag on the LGBTQ community and be homophobic and transphobic, uh, you know, it's just, it's not a pretty thing. And uh, so, folks, go to LosAngelesBlade.com. My friend Alvin's column is Dave Chappelle can kiss my black ass. Read it, and you can reach him on his blog site. Go read his other stuff. He's wonderful. And, uh, yeah, if uh, you were a Chappelle fan, I really wish you would consider hitting the remote and finding something else on Netflix to watch. Rob? Yeah. 
Well, I'm 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 glad Alvin made that commentary because he and he is the one that needed to do that. Um, I think Chappelle's core and the reason he has this anger and it comes out bullying the LGBTQ community is a resentment over different activists standing up for LGBTQ rights that are that that are correct, but he is resentful for the amount of attention those wrongs get versus a lot of the horrific wrongs that happen to the African-American community that still get virtually ignored. And that, that is true. There is a truth to that, that the, those things to the African-American community are ignored. They absolutely are horrendous that they are ignored and, um, and, and they need to be rectified. Alvin is a great person to speak to that, however, because he comes from both. And so he can give the appropriate um, uh, context um, to to each. So kudos to Alvin, kudos to you, Brody, for uh, picking that up. Is I, I think that's an important part of the conversation. So, but Brody, you're going to be very, very happy to know that, um, again, from the beacon of your homeland, um, we have a new gem to talk about today. Um, it is the film On the Fringe of Wild. It is um, setting film festivals afire, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to bring both our participants on at once, so I do want to welcome to the show Emma Catafamo, who is the film director and uh, actually the visionary of the story of the film, and uh, Michael Mello, who is one of the very interesting characters in the film. Welcome, you guys. How are you doing? Hi there. Can you hear me? I, we can, can you, hear you can great. I, can you hear me? Great. Okay. Uh, to, um, hi, I'm happy to be on the show. <laughs> great. Well, excellent. Hi. And, and Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, uh, it's great, great having you. And um, I know we were kind of rambling on a little bit about American politics. Um, uh, Michael, I know you've you've done some TikToks on Canadian politics. Do you do you see similar things happening up there? Yeah, I think I think wherever you go, there's always going to be politics that mirror one one another. So there's definitely a lot of similar parallels, no matter where you are in the world, which is always super interesting. Right. I love your take on. You had one where you had the. Uh, dance numbers by the four people who are running for uh, prime minister and uh, um, commentary to match. Super, super cool. (laughs) Although I I have to say, (laughs) go ahead. Well, I was going to say, sometimes I feel like you can't trust what a politician says. So like we might as well just judge them based off their dance skills, something that's like actually critical and that can hold up. (laughs) <laughs> well, sometimes I, it's just I, I, performative. I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I, I have to say, I, I I think I would have rated Justin's dance a little higher than you did because I kind of like how he shakes his booty. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so it's a good good call. Um, so Emma, uh, oh my God, such an intense film. How has it gone over? Um, in the film festival that you've appeared in so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is very, it, it is a heavy watch. Um, I mean, we absolutely, I mean, we're pretty open about that. Uh, we, you know, we have trigger warnings in, in our 
um, like in the descriptions because it, it's it's pretty emotionally taxing. But I, I think it's something very important to talk about. Um, I, I I really do think that. I mean, the, the film is set in the early noughties, like the early 2000s, but these issues still persist today, especially in more rural communities or more isolated communities or more insular communities. And especially when young people and youth don't have a support system, like they don't have peers or family or um, even like uh, mentors or anyone that they can talk to or that they can be open with and be their authentic selves. It's, very damaging very damaging yeah you know that was that was really well drawn out in the film each of the characters has their own private hell that they're they're really oppressed i mean everyone around them they 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 don't feel comfortable opening up and that that obviously leads to um both tragic consequences and internal um tragic um issues um you tackle the concept of toxic masculinity throughout the film, but I want to take you back to you are an award-winning, award-winning short film producer as well, and uh, one of your previous films um, was actually, it was called Fish Out of Water, and if I'm not wrong, you r- literally recreate that short film within this film. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, Rob, you were absolutely correct. So, um, Fish Out of Water uh, is is exactly the same thing. It's it's basically about toxic masculinity and about sort of the the whole like pseudoscience and the dynamics of like the alpha beta, right? And and how that can manifest in different relationships. And in the case of this, it's the father and son, right? And how a father essentially tries to make a man or whatever that means out of his you know. Um, adolescent boy by taking him on a fish ice fishing trip um so we have this scene in the film when peter who's the protagonist uh goes goes ice fishing with his father um so i I decided that's basically where the the seed of where the idea for the film came from i I basically expanded on that scene and just i I, decided to add more (laughs) yeah more like more concepts of like different perspectives on toxic masculinity and different ways it manifests in people. No, it, it is, it was really brilliant. And I, when I saw that, that scene in, um, on the fringe of wild, it was like, okay, this is the core. This is, this is where the stone dropped in the water and the whole rest of the story is the, the trickles out from this concept right here. Um, the, can you tell me the emotion in each of those scenes in the two depictions the 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 you tell a story and you are so visually oriented as part of your talent in in your films to create these images and in the images of each of the boys' faces in these films told so much of the story of the the connecting with the wounded fish that still had life um can can you give us some thoughts on on what what that meant to you and how you wanted to design it and have it depicted? Well, so to me, I mean, the crux of toxic masculinity is that it basically 
um, it's like a hierarchy that stands on domination, right? Power, domination, and violence. So that's sort of the realization is that this boy is used to being like pushed around and bullied by his dad and sort of forced into doing things he doesn't want to do and being a person he doesn't want to do, right? Be, you know, doing the fishing and the sports and whatever. But it's as soon as he sort of sees like the, the, you know, the hook in the eye and like this really grotesque, like violent imagery that he's like, wow, you know, like this is like, not only is this damaging to me, but if I take on this, this persona, like I'm also then passing it on and damaging other people and, and other, and other creatures in my relationships with them. So that like the animals are symbolic essentially. Right. Uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I got that. And in, 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 uh, on the fringe of the wild, the, the symbolism is around a very pure white, um, very innocent and beautiful rabbit that keeps appearing through the film, you know, is, is kind of like the epitome of gentleness, if you will. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. so, so, in, you know, and against the white snow. So it's, you know, hugely, hugely effective. Um, can you take us through the development? Where did you get the idea and how did you put this whole process um, in place to, to bring the film together? Do you, um, you mean for like the, the original short or for the, for the feature? From the, from after both. the short um, and, and well, kind of both. Yeah. I mean, take us through that, that creative process. Well, so the, so the short was um, my um, my graduation project for when I for my bachelor's degree in, in filmmaking at, at Concordia in Montreal. Um, so I, I shot it in in Quebec. Um, but the inspiration for that basically it came from uh, like basically I I mean I didn't grow up in the country but some elements of my own lived experience mixed with some imagination mixed with um, lived experiences and seeing the results of toxic masculinity, particularly on like um, queer identifying men in my life and seeing how damaging that is in their relationships with, with um, especially with parental figures. So right. these kinds of things I amalgamated into a, a very fictional story and I decided to put it in like a very remote, you know, what's the most barren, remote, isolated, stark location I could think of. It's like, oh, well, a frozen <laughs> winter lake, right? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, like another visual metaphor, right? It's just like you know, right, something that's right. vast and empty. <laughs> well, like it, it was an interesting contrast. Because when when um, Peter and Jack are in in the cabin and they're warm and everything and it's contrasting that that it does sort of contrast that private moment when you're when you're with your loved one um, in a world that doesn't accept you. I mean, it it uh, that that certainly had the cold outside certainly had symbolic and almost a tactical impact. So that that was actually really cool. Um, the characters Thank that you, you drew in this in this film are kind of fascinating. They're they're each different, and it's not your typical quote unquote coming of age 
coming out gay storylines for for any one of them. Um, do you want to give a little synopsis of each each of the three uh, major characters and your your thoughts behind them? Uh, absolutely, yeah. So um, so so Peter is the protagonist, as we know, and he he's the one who has this. Um, sort of push and pull relationship with his father. His father, his father cares for him, but in a very problematic way. And and because he's he's scared, I guess, for him. He, he sees that his son is doesn't conform to this uh, community thinks a man or whatever you know a, a, that a man should be. And he so he tries to basically push him into. Um, being a certain way, and that's very difficult for Peter. Peter finds solace in creative expression, uh, drawing specifically, and he spends a lot of time alone. And he's he's bullied at school by uh, Michael Michael's character, who is um, right. named. Uh, uh, oh man, it's just it's very problematic, but. I mean, Miles is, so Michael's character is named Miles, and Miles is sort of like this, he's like the the epitome of, I guess, the person who's trying to put on the persona of this so-called alpha male, but it's it's very much a show because of inside he knows that that's not who he is, but he thinks that that's who he has to be, so he's he, he personifies, you know, the sort of like the aggression right it's he's hurt he's pained inside so he tries to get rid of that pain by taking it out on peter who is more um who exemplifies some of the traits he's maybe not brave enough to um exemplify openly himself and then jack is sort of well jack has a he has a very problematic home situation. His mother is uh, has passed away. His father is an abusive alcoholic. So he's very introverted and sort of a bit of like a lone, like a lone wolf a bit. That's like that's that's a good metaphor for it. And he just sort of goes about to the beat of his own drum. But the problem is that he never really expresses anything to anyone and has no outlet for anything. And that's sort of right. Piece. Yeah. Well, and I'm also and gathering the most that there's no coincidence. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's no coincidence that um, the concept of Peter Rabbit and Jack Rabbit are sort of thoughts that come to mind in terms of animals around that. And you have so much of the rabbit symbolism um, in the film. Um, but I do want to focus on Miles. <laughs> I got that. Picked that part up. Um, uh, Michael, you play Miles, which is, I have to tell you, probably the character I was most fascinated with, and your performance was probably my favorite um, in the film. Oh, Not thank to you. Pit, you know, of course, you know, if I had the other actors online here, I'd have to say the same thing to them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> True, true, true. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, I was like, no, I really was. I, I thought your your characterization and and um, choices and and uh, the the range that you took this character was was really fascinating. Um, but your character Thank wasn't you so a good guy. 
No. <laughs> and awful. And, yeah. And wanted to, to um, give him some well-deserved spankings throughout. What was it like playing that? How did you approach that? Yeah, I think it's actually, uh, it, it was so interesting for starters. I'm, I'm so used to comedy and stand-up comedy, and that's kind of my background. So to take on a very serious role like this was such a, a, a different uh, experience for me, but I was very excited to get my hands on it. And originally when I went in for auditions, I, I read for uh, Peter and Jack. And then as the audition process went on, uh, they had me read for Miles, I think maybe only like once or twice. And I had last been like, oh, that was kind of an interesting character and things like that. And then was reached out uh, and asked if I'd be interested in playing Miles. So, you know, I, I kind of had like a, a second where I, I read through the script and I was like, wow, I hate this guy. Like, this guy sucks. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then, like you keep, like you you keep reading the script, and you're kind of like, okay, like things start to unfold, and you start understanding the complexity of the character and why the character acts a certain way, and and kind of like uh, what was touched on before, but how everyone kind of has this baggage that sometimes they're not willing to show other people what they're carrying around. And so when I started kind of deep diving into the role and trying to get into character, I had to remind myself that you know, at the end of in everyone's mind, they're the good guy and what they think they're doing is the right thing to do. And so that's kind of how I took on Miles was kind of playing the role as this is what I truly believe to be the right thing to do. Like I need to be this hyper-masculine man. I need to bully these people to prove my authority. I need to like um, hide who I truly am and all that stuff. And I think at one point in the film, it comes to a breaking point when things uh, take a turn for the worse and, and you start to see, like, the human layers of the character and how desperately right. he just, I think, wants to be accepted and loved. Yeah, no. Well, it, that's good. I mean, go ahead, Emma. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say that, I mean, all so all the actors that we picked, I would, like, I were, everyone was amazing. And all three, especially all three of our, our lead guys were just brilliant but the reason why like we picked me and my and julia who's the um was the casting director we decided on michael for because originally we were thinking for jack but we decided he'd be better for for miles because like michael has this really amazing ability to oscillate between like comedy and being like very funny as you've seen on the tiktoks you know very good at that humor almost like stand-up and also like intense raw vulnerability which is what we which is what miles needs because like miles is that he is like a he was he's like a like a cracked china or something like that right it's like Mm -hmm. there's like right there's there's cracks in like this hard surface and inside that is like a very broken person so that's why i mean that's why michael did he was perfect for it. Like that, that off being able to have that range. Yeah, no, and Michael, you, you, you give up the aura that you wouldn't take crap. I mean, is that, that the other characters <laughs> were, were sitting there and taking stuff and not fighting back and being very passive. And you just sort of exude an inner strength that doesn't, 
seem like that would be a natural for you that you and in many ways I thought the character arcs that that happened um, your character kind of ran the plot a little bit I mean it was you know it didn't go the way he wanted but still you weren't going to be anybody's patsy you know it was yeah. it was you know one way or the other it, mm-hmm. and and your go ahead I'm sorry well, I was even going to say, I think something that was so interesting was when we did uh, ADR for the film was meeting some of the, the people who I, I had met prior on set and then getting to differ, differentiate, like, who I am as a person versus the character I played. And I think that was, like, they one of the comments they made was, like, wow, like, getting to know you, who you are, and, like, what you would now, because, like, when you watch the film, you so dislike the character and then when you, like, are able to separate the two units and, like, kind of um, look at that lens of why the character does the things that they do, you, you start to love Miles a little bit and appreciate him by the end of it. Yeah, and I think in, in the scope of real life, um, there are a lot more Miles than there are, um, I don't want to say more than Peter and Jack, but you know, oftentimes in films, you know, you, you have the characters that are drawn similarly to Peter and Jack in that, you know, they, they're oppressed and they're silently brooding and, and you know, artistic mm-hmm. and, and, and the victims. But in life, a lot of the people who are the most homophobic and who are the most attacking mm-hmm. are the people who have their own inner, um, you know, sexuality issues. And some yeah. are just out and out gay, and and um, but fighting to fit in so badly, and fighting for strength, and and if they're the ones that are beating up on gay people, then they feel like they're overcoming it, or you know whatever those those issues yeah. are. Um, how you went through quite a psychological arc? What toll did that take on you internally? Um, yeah, I think it was like very, uh, you know, it was, um, therapeutic in some, some manners to, you know, tap into those deep elements of the character and, and we filmed that the, like kind of the intense things I would say like midway through my shooting schedule. So at least I think that helped me really, um, get to then play when I started playing the other scenes of like the bullying stuff and all, all that get to really appreciate the character more and understand where he's coming from. But I do remember the exhaustion and like the mental focus that took me to kind of like get to that breaking point. I kind of uh, locked myself in a, in a room, I think before, while everyone was kind of setting up the scene and just really played some, you know, sad songs that hit me in the fields and all that stuff. And just really, talked in in my head of 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 all the feelings that i i should be feeling if i were this character and 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 things like that and i think there's you start realizing the guilt that he feels and and the shame that he carries and the also the the hatred towards himself because i and you touched on it as well most of the people who are homophobic or or bully other people it it comes from a place of self-hatred and and they they get so angry seeing people living authentically and happy and, and things like that and so I think it was a, definitely a, an emotional roller coaster. I remember 
after filming it, I was kind of like, okay, I need to be wrapped because I'm, I'm done for the day. I need like a, a key and I'm going to go play my Nintendo Switch now kind of thing. Yeah. To your point, none of, none of the parents in this film, none of them come off smelling very good. <laughs> it isn't not a film if you want to be inspired to be, well, maybe it is a film be inspired to be a good parent. Just don't be like any of them. Um, what not to do. But um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Michael, you had to, in part of your scenes and part of your arc in the film was dealing with a drug-addicted mother, and there was such mm-hmm. uh, authenticity that those interactions had. Um, have Did you relate to that in, in real life? I mean, are there, were there times you've had to deal with addiction and uh, addiction people? Um, mm-hmm that you pulled from? Uh, no, I, w- I would say that um, for that specific thing, I think I actually pulled from a, a place of love. I am very fortunate to have like a really good relationship with my parents and my family. And I think how I kind of just got into that mindset was just um, imagining if someone that you loved so dearly was out of spinning out of control and there was nothing you could do but be angry about it. And I think that's kind of how Miles expresses a lot of his emotions through anger, which I think a lot of people can relate to. It's, it's, not, it's the emotion I think most people go to when they're unable to articulate what they're actually feeling. Um, and so, yeah, I think for, for that particular scene, it, it's more so just, I mean, from my perspective and how I played it, was just the, the desire to want to have the person you care about and who raised you um, – get themselves out of this dark hole because you need them to. And, and especially a parent, I think a lot of times we look at parents as role models and people who are supposed to be like these guiding lights for us to kind of get to point from point A to point B. Um, and I think Miles just really needed that, craves that stability from his mother. And that's where the anger comes from. Right. No, it was so, so poignant, so well done. And, and yeah, it, the impact was, was huge. Um, and Thank I want to take you to some of the, the other casting, um, particularly um, Harrison Brown, who, who plays Peter, mm-hmm. was um, so introspective and so much, you know, you had so many beautiful shots, really almost just going inside his head. And I just found the casting to be absolutely fascinating. Um, um, Harrison being a uh, transgender hockey player, um, sort of like one of the last people I would have on paper thought would be Peter. Um, how did you, how did you guys creatively make that morph into um, the sensitive gay boy? Well, I, I know it's, it's, it was, it was, yeah, the, it was interesting. They said the casting process, I mean, we, we had some hopefuls and we had some people who I was like, yeah, they could maybe work. They could maybe work. And then Harrison came in and he, he did the, um, the scene for the audition. And I was just like, we were just like, okay, well, this is obviously, this is obviously Peter. Like it was, his performance was just really, um, really powerful, really powerful. I think that there was a, there was a there was a real authenticity to 
his presence on screen. Well, I mean, we were well, we did film the, the auditions, of course. So yeah, his presence on screen. There's just yeah. a real authenticity, and the way he moved around and the, the way he emoted was was very. Um, it was it was very it was both like powerful the emotion but also very gentle as well and I just think that it was perfect he was perfect for the role his performance was the best yeah. so it was it was pretty clear um, we didn't even we didn't even really know and think about it and then we we, we were talking about it and we and we he he was mentioning talking about his drama we were reading his resume because after we saw his performance we were like okay obviously this is awesome. And then I was, oh, wow, like, interesting, like, sports, uh, hockey, wow. This is not really very like, much like Peter, but it just worked. It just worked right. So. No, it did. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting background. Um, so what – one of the things in the film that really stands out is the performances across the board of um, all the actors um, – and, and yes, Michael, you're still my favorite. But um, but <laughs> every performance was was just um, um, complex and deep, and you know the characters had to go through um, love and and fear and you know um, and relate to each other on such deep levels. Um, Emma, what was your process as a director to get them all there? Um, yeah, it, it was, it was pretty intense. The, um, the content was very intense, but I, I think that for me, the most important, the most important thing, performances that bring truth to the characters on screen, the actors have to bring some element of their own lived experience to the character. It doesn't have to mean that they've lived the exact life of the character, of course, but they sort of have to like extrapolate and relate something when they felt a similar way to the character and then imagine and then build from there as the foundation, right? And, and that's how you get into that place. You, so basically you have to, it's like you're almost reliving something that you've been through. But right. Right. In the, but also imagining that you're in a different situation at the same time. It's, it's a very weird paradox, but I think that that's the best approach because otherwise it's, it's yeah, it's, it's not really authentic. Just to, no, to chime in. Yeah. Um, I Go also, I think with, with especially the four of us young cast, younger cast members, we really hit it off behind the scenes. Like every night we were playing Nintendo Switch. We were, had these very deep, intimate conversations. I still, like, I, I saw Harrison and Cameron a couple of weeks ago. Like, we're still very close. And I think building that behind the scenes allowed for this uh, beautiful chemistry to kind of flourish on camera. And I think, like, you know, I, for example, Harrison, uh, Harrison's character, Peter, and Miles, like, hate each other and there's uh, but there's this beautiful scene at the end where we just come together and I think it wouldn't have played out as beautifully if you know there wasn't such a fun and uh natural friendship with Harrison behind the scenes so I think that yeah, Emma built a really great, yeah. yeah and right. Emma, I think built like a really great set for us to naturally um trust one another as actors especially with me it being my first film and, and things like that as well and 
the fact we became these great friends right off the bat, I think made the space uh, and the chemistry so great. And I yeah, think and, that's and, adding and, on to that, uh, we, we mm-hmm. all stayed, uh, because we all went up north to northern Ontario, and we were there for the shooting period in a hotel, in a hotel and stayed there as, like, a group, the crew and the cast. So I think that really aided it as well. Because, like, if everyone went home at the end of each shooting day, like, I don't think that the, the, um, the camaraderie would have been the same. Right, right. Well, and I do want to give a shout-out to uh, Cameron Stewart, who plays Jack. I mean, he is sort of a central point of, um, you know, he, he's the one that both the other characters are actually in love with. Um, he is the um, kind of the most vulnerable of, of everyone um, and, you know, takes the brunt of it um, in the film. Um, you know, Emma, can you speak to a little bit about his casting and what he brought to the, to the film? Yeah. Um, so Cameron, Cameron was great because he has um, – yeah, he has this very uh, – he's very genuine, he's very earnest, and he has a very – he has a sincerity in his performances, I think. He, he, he really brings that to the screen, and I think that that's great for the character, um, a, very, a very genuine kindness. And I think that, yeah, he, he also had in the character his performance of, Cam- of Cameron's performance – of of Jack, he had this um, this anxiety and this like hyper vigilance in his. Uh, he's always sort of like on edge, right? Like on on the edge of his seat a little bit, or and that right. was really good too because it, it makes sense for the character, and 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 that was a, a great choice of his. I and I was I think that 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 paired with this sort of like earnest, genuine, almost. Uh, yeah, just yeah. I think that that was a really good balance there. It just made it work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and you know the, the big beautiful brown eyes and um, just uh, yeah, and of course yeah, you know that. <laughs> well, yeah, and and well, everybody everybody is, and I mean you, you have a, 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 a gorgeous cast, but but his his was particularly that that. Um, vulnerable um, aspect came out of him um, in in a very uh, predominant way. Um, I want to switch gears in the last few minutes here. Where, where can people find the film? What's next for it? Where is it going to be um, showing next? Uh, Yeah. So we, we actually have our um, DOD release coming up on the 12th. So that's very exciting for the U S. So uh, we'll be able to, you'll be able to watch it on um, uh, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play, uh, Vudu, and DirecTV. And then there's also, it'll also be on some local cable and, and satellite providers and, and on DVD. Breaking Glass Pictures is, is our uh, distributor, so they'll be doing the, the oh, DVD, excellent. I believe. Excellent. And, and, and what, date, what is the date again that, that that can be seen? Oh, yeah. October 12th is our U.S. release. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, so that's in excited. five days. <laughs> <laughs> five days. Uh, you know, check it out, folks. Um, and where, will pe- where can people go? Is there a website or other places they can go to find out more? Um, yeah. 
so we we have um, uh, so um, the production my production company Dance and Caribou Productions has a Facebook page and also uh, Instagram presence as well. So Dancing Caribou Productions, and then um, we also have a, a page on uh, my 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 website my my director's website that has our our festival listings on it. So. That's awesome. And, the film, yeah. and will you be doing more of the fe- more festivals coming up? Um, hopefully, uh, I'm not sure about uh, because we're because we're releasing in the U.S. I don't know how many more U.S. festivals we'll be doing, but um, hopefully, like it's more international, like maybe Europe, like Canada, right. th- things like that. Hopefully, some of that in in the coming months. Yeah, I just I love the these films at, at the festival because it, they create such energy and and feeling. Were you were you guys able to be at the the ones that happened in San Diego and Miami, or did you have to watch those? No, I no, I, I wish because it all happened during COVID. Well, I mean, COVID's still still around, of course, but right. unfortunately, like it, it's different. We had travel ban- we had travel bans so when it was when that was all happening, so it made it difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's too bad because I, I just have a feeling you guys would have gotten a lot of love in the room, you know, as you've been there. Oh, I know. No, it's a shame. <laughs> oh well, it's like, well, we'll laugh about this all someday. I hope. Um, we're down to our last last five minutes. What haven't we talked about that uh, we should be pointing out about the film? Um, I mean, I just. I I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about, Michael, or, or Rob, if you have any ideas. I, I basically just want to thank everyone who was involved because, like, the crew, the whole crew and the cast, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Eric, Eric Bizzari, my uh, my line producer, <laughs> thank you, and everyone else, because uh, it was, you know, it was a, uh, it was a lot of fun, but it was also intense. So I'm just really thankful for everyone's support. No, yeah, it, yeah. It, I, it, 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 go ahead, Michael. Sorry. No, I was I just going to echo that statement and and say it was uh, such an honor to be a part of a film, and hopefully we did it justice and and, and things like that. I, yeah, no, I'm so happy with how everyone everyone's work is amazing. Oh, and Sorrel Desat, who was the the screenwriter I worked with to 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 bring the vision to uh, to the to make my treatment the script and everything. Sorrel, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, um, Michael, what is next for you? You have you have a growing TikTok following, and what what is next on your creative horizon? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a loaded question. I'm, I'm not sure. I uh, it's it's quite funny because we wrapped the film, and I was like, wow, I'm going to pursue acting, and then within three days, the world went into a, a massive pandemic and lockdown. So that was super fun. Glad I at least got to experience like a film before all this happened. Um, but yeah, I think right now I've, I'm, I'm doing like a lot of stand-up shows and really pursuing my comedy. I'm also a digital producer at Entertainment Tonight Canada. So I do work a lot behind the scenes as well. And I just love pop culture and media. But uh, yeah, I think for, for me, I'm 25, so just kind of, Seeing where my career takes me, hopefully more on on camera opportunities and things like that. But 
going to continue making TikToks and making people laugh or cry, depending on, on what I, I create. <laughs> or both. <laughs> or, or both, both. at the, both same at the same time, time. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's not be simple about it. And Emma, what about for you? Obviously, you, you, you're such a creative powerhouse. What, what is next? Oh, and, and how do you want to tackle, continue tackling toxic masculinity? Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm definitely, I'm toxic. I think that, I think my next film, I'm toxic masculinity and just like, just in general, gender roles and how gender roles are um, oppressive. <laughs> Something I'm very interested in. And um, homophobia, of course. Um, these are all t- things about sexuality and, and, and gender roles gender ideals, these are things that are, are very interesting to me. So I, I'm actually working on a script right now, but it's, it's about um, it's about two women this time. So we'll see where that goes. <laughs> no, that's, so, a, a female, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think Harrison's life story itself would be interesting fodder for for a, um, a film, this, that, that arc from transgender athlete yeah, to sensitive um sensitive art film um is, yeah. is, is fascinating. Actor, yeah. well i want mm-hmm. yeah i want to thank you guys both for for being on today and for what you do i mean and that most importantly because everything you guys are doing is the stuff that will actually change the world reaching people through oh. these artistic um means and moving them and making them cry and feel things is is where um, success will, will come about. Um, Brody, I want to thank you for being on board, as always, and I want to thank you for your work on the L.A. Blade. Um, please do check out the LosAngelesBlade.com. Um, it is a really great daily newspaper, um, and it is in print in the Los Angeles area. Um, fascinating original articles you won't see elsewhere, and um, a really important take on all of that. And for us, we will be back again next week with another installment of Rated LGBT Radio. Um, It is going to be fantastic, outstanding, mind-blowing, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about. But I can guarantee you it will be all of those things. Um, So for me and the team here at Rated LGBT Radio, I want to thank you for tuning in. To Brody's point earlier, please tell your friends. Please subscribe. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can Google us. You can find us on Blog Talk. You can find us all over the place. Um, But subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We love you. And we will be back here again next week.